Hello and welcome to another episode of JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. As always, I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JG Ministries, and I'm glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast, and you will receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying the book of Luke. We have finished with chapter 4, and we are beginning to work our way through chapter Five. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 5, and we'll begin with verse 5. Let's get into it. Now, when we, le- uh, when we left off last time, we saw Jesus exercise his power by casting out a demon, and we also got to see Jesus calling his first disciple, which was Peter. Now we will continue with our narrative of the calling of Peter. And then we'll start to see Jesus's powers of healing. So let's go ahead and turn to verse five and let's begin. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to the other partners in the other boat to come and help him. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, I want to stop there for a moment, and I'm going to take a look at verses 6 through 11 together. Now, Luke now moves quickly to three focal points in his narrative. The first one is that Luke describes the gathering of the fish, He gives the details of the breaking of nets and the loaded boats, and this helps give the narrative the ring of truth. The second focal point is that the miracle moves Peter. Peter is overcome by awe before Jesus. Peter is gripped not merely by a sense of his inferiority to the Lord, but by his own sinfulness in spite of of his being a law-abiding Jew. Now, this vision of the glory of the Lord Jesus produced in Peter an overpowering sense of his own unworthiness. It was so with Isaiah, and it was so with all who see the king in his beauty. Now, Luke's reason for including this incident may not be to only portray the confrontation of human sinfulness with Jesus, but also to show that to receive the saving grace of Christ, a sinful person must repent. And this brings us to our third point. Peter obeys Jesus in letting down the net. And Jesus follows that up by declaring that Peter will catch men from then on. Now, in view of Luke's emphasis on the kindness of God reaching out to embrace all humankind, This phrase signifies a benefit in gathering of human fish, if you will. 
And it was while Peter was engaged in this ordinary employment that Christ called him to be a fisher of men. While you are waiting for guidance, do whatever your hand finds to do, and do it with all your might. Do it heartily as to the Lord, whatever you do. And just as a rudder guides a ship, it only does it when it's in motion. So God will guide you when you too are in motion. Trust in his love for you. Now Christ called Peter from catching fish to catching men, or more literally, taking men alive, if you will. What are all the fish in the ocean compared to the incomparable privilege of seeing one soul, seeing one person that's one for Christ and saved for all eternity? Food for thought. Now Peter, James, and John, they pulled up their boats on the beach, and they forsook all, and they followed Jesus on one of the best business days of their lives. The best business day, they were catching fish left and right. Their boats were sinking. But they left all that and they followed Jesus. And how much hung on their decision. Now the disciples then leave everything. They follow Jesus. And this underscores the conditions of discipleship that Jesus will teach later on. Now that takes care of of uh, verse 11. <clears throat> so now we're going to get into where Jesus cleanses a leper. So let's go back to our Bible and back to verse 12. And beginning with verse 12, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering of your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now, to discuss verse 12 a little bit, leprosy is a general term in Scripture for certain skin diseases. It may not necessarily be equivalent to what we know as Hansen's disease, uh, but these, these people that had leprosy, they were repulsive. Uh, it resulted in physical, social, and even psychological isolation of the victims, of the people that had leprosy. Now Luke, the doctor, we know he was a doctor. He makes special mention of the fact that this man was full of leprosy. And Luke is careful to note the nature and extent of this disease. It was an advanced case and it was quite hopeless for this man uh, to be healed, humanly speaking. Now this assumption is that the man had some knowledge of Jesus prior to this miracle. And just as Peter fell at Jesus' feet for shame at his sinfulness, this man falls face down for shame at his uncleanliness. Now the use of the word Lord was used here by this man with leprosy as more of a reference to the name Sir 
But the faith of the leper definitely was remarkable. The, the man with leprosy says, you can make me clean. He could not have said that to any other man in this world. Yet he had absolute confidence in the power of Jesus Christ. When he said, if you are willing, he was not expressing any kind of doubt here as to Christ's willingness. Rather, he was coming as a, a loyal subject, if you will, someone who expressed a sense of unworthiness and felt that he had no inherent right to be healed. But he casted himself on the mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 13, to touch a leper was dangerous, medically speaking. It was also defiling the religious law, and it was degrading socially. The very act of touching is significant here, especially since lepers were always kept off at a distance. These people were isolated. They had to go to a little commune, if you will, that was away from where everybody else was, was living, the community. Now, perhaps our contemporary society today, um, having rediscovered the significance of touching as a means of communicating concern, um, we can identify with Jesus and his kindness in touching the leper. Now, such contact also symbolized the transfer of healing power. Jesus has the power. He wouldn't necessarily have to touch this guy. But Jesus was trying to make, I think, several um, examples out of this. And Jesus says, I am willing, which meets the man's need of reassurance. The man asks, if you're willing. And Jesus, he comforts him by saying, I am willing. Basically saying, I am going to heal you. You're asking for help, and I'm going to help you. The Savior contracted no defilement. I mean, this is the Lord Christ. He heals. He can't be defiled by touching somebody like touching a leper for a human person would have done. But instead, there's a surge into the body of this leper, a cascade of healing and of health. Now, this was not a gradual cure. This was immediate. It was done immediately. Immediately, the leprosy left this man, and he was healed immediately. That's, that's important to understand, that it just immediately he was healed. It was gone. Now, think, what we mu think of, of what it must have meant to this hopeless, helpless leper to be made completely whole in an instant, in a moment of time. Pretty miraculous. So in verse 14, Jesus is uh, basically saying to him, don't go and tell anyone. Well, he is saying that. Uh, but he wants him to go and show himself to the priest and make an offering. So Jesus charges him not to tell anyone about this cure. Now, this command to silence follows Jesus' pattern. Jesus wanted first to do the works of the Messiah. That was the key thing. That's why he didn't want a lot of things said. And he wanted to fulfill his basic mission of sacrificial suffering. 
before being publicly proclaimed as the Messiah. That's why he wanted the silence. He didn't want people to talk about this. And also, Jesus did not want to attract a crowd. He didn't want a bunch of curiosity seekers, or he didn't want to stir up a popular movement to try and make him king. The people were looking for a military-type king to, to relieve them from their, their problems. And Jesus didn't want any of that interfering with what he had to do. Now, the Lord commanded the leopard to go to the priest and present the offering that was prescribed by Moses. And we learned about that back in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Now, for the cleaned leper to show himself to the priest was essential, both to observe the ritual rite in Leviticus, which is in actually chapter 14, and to demonstrate the Messiah's act of healing as a testimony to these priests. Now, every detail of the offering spoke of Christ. It was the function of the priest to examine the leper, and it was their function to determine if he had actually been healed or not. Now, the priest had never seen a cleaned leper before, so this sight was truly unique. It should have made him realize that the Messiah has at last appeared. This should have been a testimony to all the priests, but their hearts were blinded by unbelief. Now, this is going to take us into verses 15 and 16. Now, if the command to silence is a part of a pattern in the gospel, so is the failure to obey it. Now, in spite of the Lord's instructions not to publicize the miracle, the news traveled quickly, and great multitudes came to Jesus to be healed. The immediate effect of the healing is Jesus' increased popularity. Now, though this popularity leads others to come and be healed, Jesus is forced to withdraw to a deserted area in order to seek some peace and quiet. Now, once again, Luke speaks of Jesus's habit of prayer. That was one thing that Jesus truly taught us was prayer, and he did a lot of praying. Sometimes he'd pray out through the night. Now, Jesus would often withdraw to the wilderness for a time of prayer. We see this a lot in scripture, that Jesus would even leave his disciples and go off to be alone. Our Savior was a man of prayer. It is fitting that this gospel, which presents him as son of man, should have more to say about his prayer life than any other. Okay, so now we're getting into verse 17. And we're going to come into where Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. So let's go back to our scripture again. And let's just pick up a, a couple verses as time allows here. In verse 17, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, Jesus' activities inevitably brought him into confrontation with religious authorities. The Gospels actually focus on several occasions, actually. Now, Luke is especially concerned in this Gospel and in Acts to clarify the original relationship between Christianity and Judaism and to show the reasons why the Gospel had to break out of the confines of Judaism. Now here he stresses the authority of Jesus once more. In chapter 4, verse 32, we saw that Jesus' teaching was authoritative. In chapter 4, verse 36, we we saw that his authority over demons. And now in chapter 5, we see his authority to forgive sins. Now I want to stop right there because I am running out of time. But next time we will pick up with verse 17 where Jesus has a confrontation with the religious leaders over this forgiveness of sins. So until next time, God bless you all and keep living Christian strong.